the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. All right, so folks, we're going to be starting our second segment of our podcast, Let Us Reason. I'd like to welcome those of you who are joining us uh, uh, through the Let Us Reason podcast, but also I want to welcome all of you back to our YouTube and Facebook live stream, Let Us Reason as well. Now you know why I use Let Us Reason, because I have a whole bunch of video series, podcasts, and live streams all under the same umbrella of Let Us Reason. Last segment, we talked, myself and Dr. Jay Smith, who is with me here in studio in person. Uh, Believe me, it's not virtual. It is in person. Uh, We've been talking about the so-called, and and that's his title, and I I love that title, the Qira'at Conundrum. And we are so thankful, by the way. I think we'll be remiss if we don't mention our sister Hatun, uh, who brought this to light, actually, uh, 2016, I believe. Correct? She, well, she and I put brought it uh, put it into uh, up up at Speaker's Corner. She was the one that actually collected these. In fact, t- t- truth be told, I didn't even consider this to be that important. And when she started collecting this, I kind of poo pooed it. And I said, Hatun, the better stuff is Dan Brubaker's material, the manuscript material. Is, uh, and she says, Jay, you're being an academic. You're not being a Muslim. Let, believe me, this is much more damaging. Right. And so she had to sit me down and correct me on this. She said, every Muslim, doesn't matter where they are in the world, whether they are radical, whether they're nominal, possibly not the liberals, they have always been told since they were yay high to a grasshopper that the Quran is one, that the Quran has always been preserved, that there is no there is no difference between the Quran we have today, the Hafsa Quran that you see, the little blue one up there, and that which was given to Muhammad, that which was revealed uh, at, uh, between 610 and 632, that which was then canonized by Uthman in 652, that which exists in heaven on the eternal tablets. She said every Muslim is drilled into that. And the reason why is because no one can change the Quran because there must not be any human intervention. And that's why she's been told her father uh, was a well-known, respected cleric there in Turkey, and he has always said there's no difference between, there's not one word that is different, there's not one letter that is different. Many of them even go as far as to say there's not even one dot that's different. Yasef Qadi has been quoted over and over again as saying, every word, every letter is exactly the same in the Quran we have today as that which is in heaven. And the reason they have to say that is because the Quran makes that claim itself. So they've got to support the Quranic claim. They've got to support this idea that this is unfettered by human hands, that has no human intervention. And because of that fact, they have to support, they have to do so publicly. It's 
especially publicly. So suddenly, when we hold up 26 of them, went down to Speaker's Corner, I didn't expect the reaction we got. I wasn't expecting that kind of reaction. I, um, there was Mansur Ahmad, who's a, who has been there for about 20 years at Speaker's Corner, and he said, "This so, so what? These are nothing more than the pronunciation. This yeah. is nothing more than recitations. And Jay, imagine you met me and I was still a Muslim and you told me about these seven different Qurans. I would have laughed at you. I said, they're all the same. They're one and the same Quran. I don't see any problem. Yeah. And so that's why, I, 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 to me, I didn't really think that we'd get this kind of reaction. And it was because Muhammad Hijab was there in the crowd, and we filmed them. That's the nice thing about having smart cameras, and there was about 20 cameras there that day filming us. And his reaction was to pull all the Muslims away, to get them out of there. And so you can see him telling all the Muslims to leave. Now, he's a tall guy, six foot six, so he stands out. And there he is with his beard. He's a lot thinner then than he is today. And he's saying, get away, get away, do not listen to this, do not watch this, do not listen to what they're saying. And he succeeded on the day. The problem is he succeeded getting the Muslims out. What he didn't succeed is answering it himself. He had no response to those people then say, well, what are these Qurans? He didn't know how to answer that. And for four years, this is, must, have been, have, must have been festering in his own mind because he doesn't have an answer. If he doesn't have an answer, who would have the answer? Well, let's go to Yasir Qadi. Yasir Qadi, considered to be one of the highest respected Muslim clerics. Uh, he's an academic. He got his doctorate at Yale University. Certainly he would have an answer to this conundrum. And it is a conundrum. What are you going to do with these now 30 official Kira'ats. There's 30 of them. We only have seven, eight of them right here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. These are the ones I just got in two weeks ago. Hatun had 26 of them. She's up to 37 now that she has been able to find. 37. I thought there was only 30 official ones. Ooh, that's another whole other conundrum. Nonetheless, right. by, by, within, within the last intervening four years, he finally came to uh, his, well, his, his respected cleric, and he asked this question. After about an hour and 16 minutes of talking about other things that were not that interesting, he says, probably the biggest question that I want to ask, the most disturbing question, is this question about the kira. What should we do about these kira? And what was Yasser Qadi's reaction? He recoiled. You can see him on film. Absolutely. And he tried to weasel his way out of the whole discussion uh, over and over. Over oh, again, he, he said, was, we do not talk absolutely. about this in public. This is not something you ask me on camera, and you do not bring it up in a 20-minute tw interview. And you could see he did not want, in fact, he went on to say, I have never, ever brought this up in public. In all the years I have taught, I have never talked about this. Why? Because this is something you must do a deep dive to understand. And I loved, he went to three different categories. And he said, there are those who are, who are, who are initiates. Uh, these, are, I assume, must be converts or those who are young in, in their faith. We don't even mention this. You don't mention this to them. The intermediate students, we talk about it, but we say there's a line beyond which you don't go. You just don't ask certain questions. And he talked about the red line. We have, we have a huge respect for the Quran, he says. Yeah. We don't go beyond this line. And what I want to say is uh, we are going live again, folks, at 5 p.m. New York Times, which is 10 p.m. UK time. Hopefully this time it will be announced so that uh, everybody is prepared. But I am suggesting that we show segments of these kind of things. I have some segments. You have some segments. I've got a seven-minute that overview that goes through all the major things right there in the seven minutes. We can show that. That'll be great. And I want to say is there is a possibility, there is a possibility David Wood will join us. So we will be talking next time about this topic that Jay has brought up, which is the discussion and the interview that took place between uh, Yasser Qadi and uh, Muhammad Hijab. And we are going to show segments. And I think we can even uh, show maybe something from uh, Shabir Ali, uh, who addressed 
issues related to the Qur'at as well. I think Shabir Ali, and I thought at the time Yasser Qadi was actually being pretty honest. Absolutely. He then Absolutely. Said, he, he was said, honest. Yeah. He said the third category are the advanced students. Take my class, and you'll be in this third category. He kept on saying, take my class. I'm not going to answer now, but take my class. And then you do a deep dive. And look what he said. We do a deep dive, and then the problems begin to appear. Once you do this deep dive, the problems begin to appear. No kidding. And I was sitting there clapping when I heard that. Yeah. And I want to thank Colin, you know, at Islamic Critique. He was the one that actually got me onto this. I didn't know this stuff was even there. I didn't even know about this interview until Colin put it up there at his three minutes. And I said, goodness sakes, I've got to see this interview. And I just sat there laughing and clapping when I realized what these guys were admitting. And I said, finally, we have a Muslim scholar that's admitting what all of us already know, but no Muslim has dared to ever broach, and certainly not in public. And then I noticed that Muhammad Hijab was really getting quite upset. And when he says, we don't answer this question, it's not that, it's, you, it's too difficult. The, 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 this is something that you traditionalists, you traditionalists, you don't even yeah, understand. it's almost like Islam of the East versus Islam of the Islam West. Islam of the West. That's he was what saying. he was referring to. And know. he was. And yeah. he says, you don't realize that we in the West, the experts there, the Western experts, have gone, had huge leap now in understanding. And this huge leap and that you in the East, you, you, your narrative has holes in it. What a thing to say on camera. Yeah. has holes in it. But he is telling the truth, Jay. If you look at, for instance, the history of the Quran by Nolaki, okay, you are going to come across various traditions. Now, I mean, I'm going to say this. People think that there is only one tradition and that after the death of Muhammad, there was the war of the apostates. And <laughs> somebody's talking about killing apostates here. But yeah, I agree with you. Uh, there is a lot of us uh, out there. But nevertheless, apostates uh, left Islam. Uh, Abu Bakr waged the war. And supposedly, many of the Hafaz or the memorizer of the Quran died. Um, you know, history says, uh, you know, there was a lot of them. I think there's about 70 of them, give or take. And all that to say is that Omar, Omar ibn al-Khattab, suggested basically that the Quran be collected first time. That's when he mentioned, uh, Jay mentioned Zayd ibn Thabit, who was actually nervous about doing something the Prophet himself did not do. That's the tradition that we hear. But do you know that there is various traditions just about this one? Some will suggest that there is another one, that Omar himself is the one that completed the job. Another one says that Omar is the one actually that put the idea out there and then Uthman took it from there. These are like three or four holes in this narrative. And he wasn't kidding when he talked about holes. <laughs> but here's another interesting hole in the narrative. And you mentioned something about it. Why in the world would you collect a Quran in writing and then keep it as a personal Quran and put it under your bed? Why? If this is the greatest revelation in the history of mankind, if this was the one thing that Muhammad was sent to receive, and then you stick it and you give it to a, one of his wives, she leaves it on her bed for 20 years. I want to back up even more to something else that comes out. Remember we're told over and over again that, that Muhammad... When he received the Quran, I'm assuming he received it in a dialect he understood. And the dialect he would have understood would be the Qureshi dialect, right? That's his dialect. Did he ever move outside of Mecca and Medina? Or do we recall that he ever went up to uh, Basra or to Kufa? Do we know that he ever went up to Well, Damascus? I mean, the, again, the tradition that is backward, you know, reverse injury, engineering says before he was a prophet, he might have went to these areas. Did he? Do we have I, that's the question. Okay. When he went to these areas, <laughs> did he learn those dialects up there? Yeah, it will be amazing if he learned all of those dialects. Because what does he say to Jibril? According to, say, according to the tradition, it says that he asked Jibril. My for, people. I, these people don't understand what I'm saying. Could you give it to me in and six other dialects? And he's talking about his people. So, meaning his surrounding areas, the tribes that he's familiar so with. So how many dialects existed in the Medina and Meccan 
era. Well, period. according to this tradition, there's only seven. Okay. Now, how many of these dialects do you find just in these seven that I have here? A lot. You have Damascus. You have Kufa. You Which have is Basra. outside of even Mecca and Medina. None of these are dialects that have anything to do with Mecca and Medina, except for Nafi and also except for Ibn Kathir. Right. And, and then Abu Jafar. Nafi Medina, Ibn Kathir, Mecca. And we're not and Abu Jafar yeah. that comes even later because he comes with Al Jazari and that's what he's yeah. not inter, he's not introduced till 1429, which is 15th century. But can you understand how is it that Muhammad suddenly knew seven dialects? How could he have known seven dialects if he didn't even travel to know these dialects? And more than that, are those the same dialects that we have here? No, these are yeah. much further afield. So these cannot be those seven that everybody suggests are the seven that Muhammad received. Absolutely. See, the talk about holes. That's a huge hole. More than that. If you're talking about different dialects, and you're trying to, your Jibril is giving it so people can understand it, why don't they use the existing languages that exist in the 7th century? What are we now finding in western part in the Mediterranean, in the eastern part of the Mediterranean, the whole area that, were, that most of the Arabs lived in? They would have been Byzantine, therefore they would have spoken Greek. In the part of Kufa and Basra, they would have not been Arab speakers. Those would be Persian. That's the sauce in that area. They would have spoken Persian. If you're talking over as far over in Egypt, they would have been Copts. They would have been learning Copts. So why did Jibril not give it in Copt and in Greek and in Persian? It's, it's just the whole thing is, is messy, uh, Jay. The whole thing is messy. And I hope that uh, next time at 5 o'clock when we do this, we will give a glimpse of these differences in dialect pronunciations that you and I will be dealing with. By the way, me and Jay have so far uh, recorded, I think, five or six of this particular series. Uh, Lord willing, uh, we hope to finish with 15, maybe 18 videos in this particular series. So, uh, you know, hold your horses. And uh, another thing uh, about holding your horses, well, David Wood just confirmed he will be with us at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. 5 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll do two radio segments, which is one hour live stream that will be split into two halves. And we can certainly talk about the holes in the narrative and this conundrum that was brought up back in June of this year. Um, what are the different areas that uh, we've intended uh, in this video series to investigate? We're going to do a number of things. We're going to start, first of all, the presuppositional problems that most every Muslim, and I would say Christians and almost everybody that's watching, starts the assumption that the traditions are correct, uh, that al-Buhari, Sahih Muslim, Ibn Daud, Dirmidhi, uh, uh, Tabari, and uh, Zamakshadi, and all the others that come after him and Hisham earlier than that, and uh, and these that these traditions called the Sira, the Hadith, the Tafsir, and the Tahri, those four genres, that they are all correct. And if you believe that they are all correct, then you're going to have to try to understand the Kira'at within those traditions, which is going to cause problem because there's a disconnect of 240 to 200 to 300 years. That's the right. first problem. I don't start from that presupposition. I'm assuming that all those uh, those traditions that are introduced by Ibn Hisham in 833, uh, by Al-Waqiri in 835, by, by Al-Buhari in 870, 875, up until 923 when Al-Tabari introduces his traditions, those are way, way too late. And they're too, too far away. They're hundreds of miles away, hundreds of years too late. I want to go back to the 7th century. And I want to see what actually happens in the 7th century. So we're going to be, that's what we're introducing in this video series. We're looking and seeing what we actually know, what we can also see, actually see. So we're looking at two different centuries. We're starting in the 7th century. We're looking and see what the traditions say that happened in the 7th century. And we're showing the that there's... The later no, traditions are saying what traditions, happened earlier. 
Sierra. And these are all redacted back, and we're saying that there That's is right. hole after hole after hole. They're getting the wrong person at the wrong place, doing the wrong thing at the wrong time, in the wrong language. And then we're going to go to the 8th century when these start to be introduced. These start to be introduced in 736, 738, 745, 770, 775, up until 905, okay? These are these and the, uh, well, I'm looking at also the Rawis. The Rawis are the two for each one of these readers. So we're talking about 30 of them. These get introduced between 736 and 905. They made chosen in 936 and 1429. So we're going to look at those two centuries and do a comparative. And we're going to show you that there's not just one or two little holes. There is hole after hole after hole after hole. And the reason why is people are not looking at a timeline. They're not looking at it on a timeline. We're going to show the timelines. And we're going to show you, look at the enormous amount of years that are intervening and how that this is contradiction after contradiction. You've got to ask the historical problem. Why? Because we as Christians have already done this to the Bible. We've already done this with the Bible. We have done all of these. We've done redacted criticism. We've done source criticism. We've done textual criticism. A textual criticism starts from the premise that at first and foremost, you open up the book and you read what's there. None of these anybody looked at. None of these anybody looked at the text. None of these compared text with text. Take a look at these two right here. I'm just going to show you these two right here. This is Warsh. Yeah, it says Warsh right there, and this is Huff's. Yeah, so These are two right here. Warsh is more common in North Africa. Hafs is the majority of the Islamic world. This is the most common around the world because it's been canonized by King Fahd in 1985 for the whole world. This one is more popular, as you say, in North Africa. Just between these two right here. 5,000? 5,000 differences. 5,000 right. words and meanings and practices and beliefs. Are you hearing Shabir Ali? These do change the practice. These do change the belief. These do change the doctrine. And because of the fact that we're talking about 5,000 differences, just between two of them, and we're not only looking at 30 of them, we're just between two of them, I want to suggest that whoever chose Warsh, and remember, he was chosen not because of popularity, like all the others were chosen. He was chosen because of where he lived, geography, because he had terrible popularity. He had only a few strands that went from him. Not many people followed him. But because he lived in Egypt, he was chosen, though he should have been chosen for the Hijaz. Interestingly, we're going to show you that when you do textual criticism, you need to do what we did to the Bible. You always need to open the text, for heaven's sakes. And you, you need, need to, to have a critical text. text, like the ASV, the, uh, the NASB. We have footnotes telling you. That's right. And Thanks. what do they tell you? They go back to the earliest exactly. manuscripts. Exactly. And they exactly. look and see how they are different. What, what has that ever been done with this book? When was that ever done with this book? And these books, by the way, uh, what fascinated me as a, an Arab reader is that on the margin, they're giving you ideas about the different dialects and readings. <laughs> they have no idea how that finally they're now seeing that these do not, uh, they, do, they don't even agree within the same cadre, within the same family, within the same stable. That's right. That's what's interesting. The fact that they are different names show that every one of them has a different reading. And that's why the 30 had to be chosen. They had to because there weren't just 30 al-Fadi. There were as many as possibly seven to 800 of them. So, folks, buy as many Qurans as you can possibly can. Where can people go and buy it? Seriously. Actually, you can go up to Al-Quran and buy it. I got these seven. Al-Quran.com? Al-Quran.com. Al-Quran.com. There you go. You, you know. can get them right now. And I just got these. They came. They sent to me from Illinois. They came to me for where I live. And I brought them down here to be in the studio with you. I had to I had to drive here to do so because they're so heavy. I couldn't take these on board the plane. And we're, we're thankful that you brought them with you because people uh, can see that uh, in, in a video. Many times they make fun and say, oh, that's just just a Photoshop. Well, there you go. This is not a Photoshop. We can touch them right here. 
And folks do buy them up because I think sooner or later the Muslims are going to find realize that they don't want to sell these anymore. They don't want the world to know uh, of this conundrum. This is a hole. This is a huge hole that the, the narrative have not dealt with. And remember at the very end, how many times did Muhammad Hijab ask him, please, I want you to ask. Multiple times. Multiple times. I'm giving you a Mus'haf, a black Mus'haf. What are you going to write there? Which one of these is going to be on your hand? Which one? And what was his final answer? After 25 minutes of insisting, he finally says, all of them. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. You add this and you add all these up to and you get the Quran. Now remember, remember, Hatun's team in London has looked at only 23 of the 30. And how 20, many? How many? 93,000 differences. Repeat the number. 93? 93,263 at the last count. 93,000 differences and Yasser Qadi said, they're all the Quran. And folks, let me tell you why this is significant. I know some, some uh, by the way, Christians will push back and say, well, wait a minute. So what? You know, the, the Bible, we know we have different manuscripts and sometimes there is word here and word there. Maybe for you, it is okay for a Muslim who is brought up to believe that the Quran is perfectly preserved in heaven, on earth, and what you have today is the exact same Quran that was revealed to the Prophet of Islam 1400 years ago. To say there is one difference is a disaster. That's why Sister Hatun was surprised when she said, I want to buy a couple of Qurans. And, and the question was, which versions you want to buy? And she didn't know that there is such a thing. Absolutely. Now, in our Bible, I have a line right here. Mark chapter 16, verse 9, there's a line there. What does it say there? The earliest manuscripts and some other ancient witnesses do not have Mark chapter 16, verse 9 to 20. But folks, we're transparent about it. Go to our website by John Snap. He does an excellent job proving to you that this is actually existed in the original Bible. So even we can refute things like this, and we're not afraid of dealing with these issues. Why can't Yasser Qadi, for instance, have a website and deal with these Why posts? is it that Yasser Qadi and Shabir Ali didn't even do this homework? Why is it that they yeah. didn't look at this? Why is it that every one of these variants we've had to find, our teams have had to find in Australia and in Britain and here in the United States? Why is it Westerners are having to actually do the work that the Muslims have, who, have had the, who have had these Qurans for twelve to 1,300 years? Notice I'm not saying 1,400. 12 to 1300 years, they've had these for over a thousand years. Why haven't they done this homework? Exactly. And by the way, I meant James uh, Snap. I said uh, uh, John Snap. Well, brother, um, you know, we have a couple of minutes left. Uh, I want to uh, thank you, Jai, uh, James E. Snap. Um, uh, I want to thank everyone, of course, for being here with us in such a short notice. And we're really blessed to see that many of you. By the way, I don't want to make any, any promises, but we have a cool system that it is quite possible that we will go live on my Facebook page. On YouTube channel, my YouTube channel, Sir International, and possibly also on Fonder Films all at the same time. We're working towards that. I don't want to make any promises. Don't tell Jay that I'm making promises like this. Otherwise, well, you just told me. So what's the promise you're making? <laughs> uh, so I want to thank everyone. By the way, uh, like I said, uh, David Wood is going to be with us at 5 uh, p.m. Uh, in New York time. Uh, I told the brother if he cannot stay with us the whole hour, it's okay. He can stay with us for as long as he can possibly can. And we are going to uh, probably show a couple of clips of these kind of issues that we addressed so far uh, in terms of the interview between uh, Yasser Qadi, uh, Hijab, Muhammad Hijab, and possibly even something or clips from uh, Shabir Ali's talk. Uh, Islam Critique, and by the way, Islam Critique, bring your checkbook with you when you come back. Uh, Islam Critique is uh, asking a very uh, good question. He's saying, 
Do you believe there is an issue, uh, a hole in the tradition that the Uthmanic collection did even take place? Absolutely. I don't think there was any such thing as an Uthmanic tradition. This is all from the 9th and 10th century. The Islam, the whole idea of Uthman is introduced in seven. I mean, in, in uh, 870. 870 is 240 years too late. I, can, I would say there is no such person as Uthman. There, in fact, we can't find any reference to Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, or Ali. The first caliph that we find any reference for is Mu'awiyah, 661. But that's for another time. That's for another place. Islamic critique. Wait, if I'm going to be talking about that, I've got to change my shirt back to my green shirt. Because of my green shirt, uh, oh I can yeah, talk about uh, that. Apparently, Jay has traditions uh, based on the color of his shirt. Uh, test him out on that. Uh, the I'm color, the wrong color for this The discussion. color green is for what? It's for the 7th century debunks. And the, the color century. maroon? No, the brown color is for the Quran. Brown color for the Quran. The yellow? I don't have a yellow yet. I'm what what about the leather vest? Leather vest is for when I'm cold. <laughs> Very good. Well, thank you uh, so much, everyone. Uh, Again, this is uh, part of my podcast, Let Us Reason. In case you're interested in knowing where you find my podcast, you can go to our website, sirainternational.com. We have a section in there that has the archive for the last six years. And uh, you can also go to um, uh, different platforms like SoundCloud, like uh, Omni Studio. I I was even told that iTunes has it. So, yes, uh, Homeboy has been busy for years uh, doing radio, and now we're doing videos and YouTube. I do things in Arabic. Uh, Praise the Lord. Yesterday, we recorded a number of Arabic videos. Uh, lessons basically from the Bible. The the goal and the dream is to do an entire journey from the Bible cover to cover, every book in there in Arabic so that it can help those who are apostates of Islam and followers of Jesus who are in areas that they cannot access the Bible freely. Praise the Lord for the internet. And that's why we are so thankful that uh, uh, both Muhammad Hijab and Yasser Qadi deleted their sections because we have copies of them already. And what a beauty it is. Any last thoughts? Yeah, some people have been asking where you can get these different qiraat. You can get them on alquran.com. A-L-Q-U-R-A-N dot C-O-M. Go up and buy them now. Get them now before they're yeah. completely out, sold out. And I will put the link for you also on both the description for this uh, YouTube channel and also on the Facebook uh, page. Thank you, everyone, and God bless.